Hello and welcome to Conversations with Q, where we talk to marketers and entrepreneurs in the tech space and beyond to learn about them and from them. I'm Lucia, Q's Community Marketing Manager, and in this episode I finally got to sit down and have a proper chat with the wonderful Nicole Elizabeth Demare consultant to the SaaS stars and everyone's favorite community builder. Nicole is a curator at Q, so she's played a really important role in our growth over the years. But I probably know her best from being a member of the Slack group she runs for SaaS marketers and entrepreneurs. What I love about this group is that it's a fantastic place to build professional relationships and seek advice on startup growth. However, Nicole has also made sure that it upholds her core values and champions causes she's passionate about such as creating a more diverse, inclusive, and ultimately just more human tech industry. All of which you can listen to her talk about in this episode. So hi, Nicole. Thank you for joining us on Conversations with Q. It's really great to have you here as you've been hugely supportive of Q and your role as curator. Just to kick things off and get to know you, where are you based and what's your favorite thing about where you live? I am in Tampa, Florida, and I love how friendly everyone is. Just you can go to a get together and meet your your best your new best friend the same night it's just amazing it's amazing oh, that's so cool yeah it's, it's lovely it makes such a difference when you live in a friendly place so um i know you've done a lot of different things in your career i admit i was having a little snoop around your linkedin the other day um so you've done things like being a web designer and seo engineer content manager and i noticed you studied psychology at university so how did you get to where you are today I started working on the internet when I was 12 in the 90s and I have just my career has kind of reflected where the internet has been going since then so I did start out with web design and SEO and over time I have transitioned into doing a lot of SAS since that's where everything's at right now and it's a really fascinating place to be in general. Definitely so you've kind of adapted with the times then and as technology changes. I don't know that I'll be doing any Bitcoin kind of stuff though so I there's some new technology that I'm not sure that I would totally get into. Yeah I can definitely relate to that I don't think it's my kettle of fish at all. (laughs) <laughs> um so yeah I guess you see yourself maybe as a multi-hyphenate as many of us are doing these days but would you say having I'd just be interested to know whether having a background in psychology has kind of informed your career because obviously that does play into marketing a lot it's interesting because I didn't realize that until I was in a growth hacker's thread about what degrees would a growth hacker want Mm. to get and Sean Ellis said psychology and up until that point all I'd ever heard was how easy my degree is and how it's not a real science and this and that you know from my engineering friends and 
friends in computer science and math and so on. So it was so nice to finally have my degree feel validated by people that I was looking up to at the time and working closely with. And I'm not sure how much it informs my career as I don't work with a lot of CRO kind of stuff where you take into account biases and everything like that, but it does inform my life. So you now work for yourself uh, as a SaaS consultant. What uh, specific challenges do you help clients solve and how, and what kind of clients do you work with? I mostly work with early stage SaaS startups who are working on their language market fit slash their positioning and figuring out who their ideal customers are, where those customers spend their time to get in front of them, how to speak their language, and to ensure that all of that language is what they've got on their website, on their social media, and also aligned internally so that when everybody on your team is talking about your startup, they're all using the same language as well. And so I also really help put put down a really, um, really in-depth customer success uh, foundation because everything you should do with your SaaS startup should start with the customer success foundation. It should start with customer development. You wanna be talking to your customers constantly and really understanding their pain points and the jobs that they're trying to get done and their emotions and everything else around your products. And so it all plays together because if you don't have the right positioning, if you don't have the right ideal customer for your product and you're missing that customer success, what you're going to do is spend a lot of money on acquisition and you're not going to retain those customers that you paid so much to get. Sure. So yeah, it's a real foundation for growing your startup. So just to kind of dig into that a bit more, how do you get all of that information about customers? So there's different ways to do this. Um, When you are creating, you know, when you're first starting out with your idea and you're working on problem solution fits, you talk to people who you think might be a good fit and you ask them about their pain points, the severity of their pain points, Mm -hmm. because it's not so much about people's pain points as it is about how severe they are. The more severe, the, the better in terms, you know, for, for you, um, because that means it's something that's actually going to really help them if you come up with a solution. And it's, it's really about uh, getting out of the building and having conversations and watching people use your minimum viable product or where, whatever it is that you've got at that time and, and learning from those conversations and avoiding bias questions as we were just talking about bias and making sure you've got open-ended questions and that you don't you don't have leading questions and um just letting people talk and listen to what they have to say so you seem like someone who's always working on different projects and challenging yourself in new directions so are you doing anything else alongside the SaaS consultancy i do twitter curation and growth So I help SaaS startups and also individuals who want to work on their personal brand with their Twitter. 
and I do a lot of writing for SaaS startups. So um, just a lot of content marketing kind of stuff, but it is a combination of customer success content and inbound marketing content. So you've got that full SaaS content marketing journey. And right now I am creating a six month SaaS mastermind group with Alora Weaver and that launches sometime in August. Um, I'm working on a book with Trevor Hatfield about starting from the very beginning to get to that point where you can scale your SaaS. Um, I'm working on a podcast with some friends. I'm always doing so many things like you were saying, so I could probably go on forever about everything I'm working <laughs> no, on. No, I think that's really cool, and I always love reading your content as well. So, And Twitter, I think, is a great platform as well. It's difficult with Twitter because you have to get to that aha moment, and with Twitter, it doesn't happen right away. It took me probably a thousand followers before I even got there and just pounding away at it day and night for seven days a week for several months to finally get it. And that, you know, most products, if you had to do that, you'd be like, I I can't do this. I'm out of here. So yeah, they've definitely got a, a, you know, an aha moment problem there. Time to first value kind of problem. Yeah, for sure. So when you're working on all of these different things, how do you stay productive and focused, especially kind of working for yourself? And do you have to set boundaries to make sure you have a healthy work-life balance? Absolutely. So one thing I do is partnerships. I'm not alone in everything I'm doing. Um, I've always got people working on things with me like the podcast and the book and the mastermind I could do that stuff by myself but I just I I really love collaboration and so that you know that really helps and I plan my day out based on just three or four tasks because I figured out that if I look at a really long to-do list every single day that I'm going to get really overwhelmed Mm -hmm. and sometimes not even get started so what I do is just pick those three or four tasks for that day because I've figured out that that's about as many things as I can actually do in a day reasonably. And I just focus on those couple of things and I try to get away from my computer <laughs> by 5 p.m. my time and just live my life outside of it. I think that's really good advice and I find that really refreshing to hear. I feel like in the startup world, there's so much of this stuff about entrepreneurs um, and I find mainly this applies to male entrepreneurs as well about kind of working so hard and always hustling and doing things on your own and so I think it's really nice personally for me to hear someone talking about collaborating and yeah just doing a set amount of tasks in one day and not putting too much pressure on yourself. Yeah I really feel like the hustle mentality and the never get sleep mentality sleep in your office when you do get sleep kind of practices are really really toxic aspects of startup culture and also hiding all of that all of the bad stuff that happens you know every startup I've ever been at is super super messy in the background and just about you know everybody's always pretending that it's not like that maybe it's different base base camp because they make sure that their culture is not chaotic but it's just always like that and 
um, everybody is just always talking about the good things instead of how difficult that hustle mentality actually is on your mental and physical and emotional health. Yeah, uh, no, I 100% agree. And I've always been the type of person who, you know, finish up yeah 5pm or whatever and make time for myself. I think it's so important because the opposite is just not sustainable. It's absolutely not. And I had to burn out twice to get to that really? point. Yeah. And when you burn out, it takes about a, a year at least a year to get back to normal so it's it's definitely a lesson yeah. learned well I really hope that we'll see more people kind of changing their attitudes and more conversations and content around that rather than just being fed the same old stuff I feel like it is changing I think so you know you've got Rand Fishkin's new book out and he recently did a podcast or a webinar maybe and um that I've still got to check out and you know the guys at base camp are always talking about this kind of stuff and then near AL is always talking yeah. about ethics around things so I, I definitely think there's some people spearheading this movement towards really taking care of yourself instead of just always working for sure so I know you best for your work as a community builder, and I'm lucky enough to be part of your unicorn think tank Slack group, which I love. Um, and it's a really thriving community of SaaS marketers. Why did you start this group? I initially started that group because I was trying to DM on Twitter with some very close friends that I made online, like Talia Wolf, and I... I was like, well, you know what? It's just going to be way easier if we just get Slack yeah. and start talking there. And so I added a small circle of people and we kept it going for a couple of years. And then eventually I was like, you know, I really want to turn this into something a little bigger where I can get a group of people together to help each other out because I am all about collaboration. Mm -hmm. So I started inviting some more friends and having them invite their friends and putting the word out on Twitter that we're especially looking for marginalized people to join. And honestly, I super lucked out that it is amazing as it is. Um, I, I don't feel like I can take credit for that. I feel like people like Kate Harvey just really put so much passion and energy into being in that group and really making sure to greet everybody and be involved every day that um, really it's other people running the show at this point mm -hmm. and I don't I don't actually have time for it every day and I'm just I'm very happy and lucky to have such amazing people in there yeah I think that is actually often the case with community building is and that's when you know it's really successful is when actually you can kind of almost take a step back in leading a group and the members themselves take charge um, and I was going to ask you actually because the think tank stack group is probably one of the most active and genuinely engaged communities that I'm part of um, so I was going to ask you you know what the secret is to building an engaged community but from what you're saying it sounds like it's just more of a natural process um, but if you were giving a startup for example advice on building a community what would you advise them? Yeah, so I do help SaaS startups build communities for their SaaS. And I work on a high-level strategy around emotions 
and building real and genuine relationships. And so it's, it, there, there can be a process that's in place. I just happen to not use it with that community specifically. Yeah. So you have, um, you have both organizational and community goals and you want them to be aligned. And you also have behaviors that you want community members to make in your community to reach those goals. And those behaviors that they make are dependent on the emotions that they have around them. So there's a lot of talking to your members to figure out what emotions they have around your community and why and um, how they feel about the goals that you would like to achieve. And um, it just it's a it's it's another process where you're really really building relationships and, and talking to community members and from there you're determining the resources that you have whether it's time and money and um, you're you're making sure you've got team alignment on all of these goals that you've got and um, one thing that can happen is that you can get so focused on the community aspect that you forget about the organizational goals mm -hmm. in the process. So, um, but in this case with, with like a SaaS startup, it is, it's easy to keep the organization goals in mind because you're really just trying to lower churn and get brand advocates. And you've always got that top of mind with SaaS anyway. Mm -hmm. So I found that with SaaS in particular, it's, it's, it's easier to keep, to stay focused. Sure. And would you recommend any particular platforms for a SaaS startup to build communities on? That is a question that really depends on your resources and your long-term goals. And some SaaS startups do fine with Facebook. Some do fine with Slack. Um, some do fine with building a, a website. So if you're looking at product pad, they've got a Slack group, Hotjar has a Facebook group, and then Unbounced has a, a forum community. So it really just depends on what you're trying to accomplish and whether or not the platforms that you're using can help you accomplish those goals. So there definitely are limitations to Slack and Facebook, for example, but if you build your own community, like Unbounce, you can address those kinds of limitations, but it's just going to be a lot more resources, time, effort, money, and a little bit harder to grow it because you have to get people to go to that community, whereas people are already on Facebook and Slack, for example. So it's, it's a set of questions you've got to ask yourself before. And some people test out Slack and Facebook and then move to building that website later on mm -hmm. just to make sure that they've got a community in place in the first place. So, yeah, they're good places to kind of test the waters, I guess. Cool. Yeah. So you mentioned earlier that um, you were really trying to appeal to marginalized communities um, in building your Slack group. And I know that you're a real advocate for more inclusivity and diversity in the tech space and just the world in general. Um, and I really admire how you use your voice for this and how these values are core to the communities you build. So what do you think is problematic about the tech industry at the moment and what can we all do to change this? 
there's so many answers to this that I'm just trying to think of where to even get started. Um, So one of the answers I would say is a lack of intersectionality. So you can say, oh, we've hired a lot of women, but if you look at the numbers, it's white Mm -hmm. women. But where are the Native women? Where are the Black women? And so on. And of course, there's issues at conferences with women not being paid the same or even paid at all. Um, Maybe they didn't get paid to speak or they didn't get their plane flight and hotel covered, but men did. I hear this one a lot because I'm friends with a lot of women who do speaking. And there's also problems at conferences with safety, especially in the video game industry. Mm. (laughs) Um, And there's also issues with meetings where women will say something and be ignored but men say the same thing later on and people listen to them I could probably go on for a really long time (laughs) about everything yeah but do you see um building communities as one of the kind of solutions that because personally I feel like it really helps and I think it just helps your morale as well sometimes to have that solidarity with other people as long as the communities that you're building are outside of your bubble so if you are a white person and you're only inviting other white people then you're not really helping move that along even if most of them are women so the real thing that you want to do is invite people of different cultures backgrounds and make it a safe space for them, an inclusive space, and make sure that their voices are at the forefront and not drowned out and don't speak over them. And, you know, just it's, it's, it's really about building those genuine friendships with people and listening to what they have to say and not arguing with them about their experiences and making sure their experiences are heard and understood to the best of everybody's ability and, um, you know, showcasing those people and um, making sure that everybody's aware of any guidelines. You know, I run a a local LGBTQ community and I try to make sure it's a super, super safe space for everybody. So we have different guidelines and safe words and stuff like that in place to make sure that it is. And um, so it's always good to have a community, uh, excuse me, it's, all, it's also good to have a committee to talk to and to have people on that committee be different types of people as sure. well so that you are hearing from different voices. Sure. So it sounds like, you know, tech companies should be doing more in leadership um, to make those kinds of things happen and create that kind of culture. Yeah, just, uh, you know, putting putting marginalized people in roles of leadership for sure yeah well I do feel like having social media now does mean that we can discuss these things and also there is so much yeah creating safe spaces where people can talk about their experience like we have seen a lot of interesting cases in the tech world you you know where people are kind of being outed for having policies or behavior that isn't inclusive so I do feel kind of positive about that despite all of the madness that's going on in the world 
Yeah, it's particularly important with communities because 85% of white people in the U.S. don't even have one black Mm -hmm. friend. So imagine if we create communities, we have to make an effort to make sure that other people are brought into the communities. It's so important. Yeah, and I guess having these online spaces is so helpful for that because it means that you can connect with anyone, anywhere. Um, And so kind of leading on from this, I think there's an increasing amount of discussion around the concept of bringing your whole self to work. Um, You know, and I see that with you and the way you use your voice and your communities to stand up for and create conversations around the issues that you're passionate about. Um, And you're very open and honest and you use your social platforms to share aspects of your personal and professional life. So I'd kind of love to know whether you've always done this and what your opinion is on the concept of bringing yourself out to work. I used to be afraid of it and um, wondering if it would put me in a position where certain startups didn't want to work mm. with me. But I realized how important it is to speak up on behalf of marginalized people who wouldn't even have those opportunities in the first place to worry about them. So I got to a point, especially as it became more of an influencer of just saying, okay, you know, I've got an audience. I'm obligated to speak up and to make actions that are going in the right direction because there's so much injustice going on that if you're complacent within these um, systemic power structures that you're actually on the side of the oppressor. So not doing anything means that you're, you're still participating in some way, but at least in a way that I don't want to participate, I want to be on the right side of history and making sure that marginalized people do have a voice and they're not talked over and that we can break down these power structures so i think that's so much more important than whether or not client a or b wants to work with me and i've also found that i've got some new clients because they agree with or align with my moral compass you know we share the same values so one of the people i've been working with for the last six months is Shad Loader with his Twitter. And part of that is because we align so much on our values. So it'll also start to attract um, the kind of people you want to work with anyway. You know, at the end of the day, you probably don't want to work with people who are complacent and or don't care about these kinds of issues sure yeah I guess it's the quality of the relationships you're building that really matters yeah yeah it can it it can become uh part of your when you know when you're defining your ideal customer you can create that negative persona you know I don't want to work with somebody who x y and z and so for me I have kind of become that way. You know, I I do want to work with people who speak out. And that's one of the reasons why I asked Alora Weaver to do this mastermind with me is because she's another really outspoken person. And I just really appreciate that about her so much. And I feel 
I feel that much closer with her. Sure, yeah, and I think ultimately, even if you're making decisions, and this can be quite hard, maybe at the beginning of your career, if you're just launching a new business and you want new clients or customers, it can be difficult to sort of close down certain relationships if you don't feel there's that alignment. But ultimately, it gives Mm -hmm. you a stronger brand in the long run. Exactly. It's it. I definitely was way scareder in the beginning. And then once I had more of a name for myself, I did become more confident. So I can, I can relate to that or some, you know, empathize with it. Sure. And you seem like a natural curator, whether that's um, content or art or music, or I guess you could see it even as people with the communities that you build. Um, and you recently launched a newsletter, so I'd love to hear a bit more about that. And also, where do you find all of the content that you curate? I find the content from probably over 100 newsletters that I'm subscribed to. So there's already a level of curation from others. I find it on Twitter and Growth Hackers, mm-hmm. mostly, and whatever friends share with me. And... The newsletter that I started was actually um, once I figured out that I didn't want to do a newsletter based on curation. Um, (laughs) So I waited forever to do a newsletter and it was something that I've been pretty hard on myself about, but it took a little while to determine what my newsletter should be about because I thought deeply about creating a curation newsletter for SaaS and for customer success and all that, but that's already out sure. there. You know, there's so many of those. So I was like, okay, um, what is my differentiator? And it took years to say, to really figure out, well, I do SaaS and I do communities. So I might as well come at the intersection of that and write about SaaS communities. Mm-hmm. And so that's how that formed um, earlier this year and that is something that's really kept me going because I have up and down weeks as somebody with mental mental health issues and my newsletter is actually something that I can feel really good about every week so I'm really happy that I finally started yeah, it. Yeah well, it's really great so I definitely recommend people sign up for it. You write for a number of major publications and uh, leading tech companies, as you said earlier, you help people create content. Um, I'd love to know how you've built relationships with those different publications and companies. Um, I know lots of people are trying to build up a portfolio of bylines and um, get their content seen in different places. So how would you advise, I mean, how did you start out doing that? I created a website and I did a lot of just blogging for my website. So I would have content examples and I found SaaS startups to write for. And I spent a lot of time building relationships and in building those relationships, got invited to work, you know, to write for different places. Um, So for example, um, Kristen Hillary is in the Unicorn Think Tank group, and I never thought ever, ever that I would be an author at Envision, but we became friends, and I was talking about how I do writing, so I got invited to write mm-hmm. there. So I 
I didn't even know she was the editor of the Envision blog at the time. I was just getting to know her. So part of it is just about forming really authentic relationships with other people in your space and just getting to know them on like a friend level even Mm -hmm. and different opportunities open up to you that way. Sure and I think that's really really good advice and as the internet's becoming more saturated with content is there anything that marketers and writers can do to stand out? I would just make sure that your content is actionable that there's real takeaways there's real world examples that there's data and that you do have that storytelling like you were talking about we were talking about earlier um storytelling to make your article really come alive to relate to people on a very personal level so there's a difference between talking at people and talking to them and you want to make sure that you're talking to your ideal customer specifically in the language that they are using in terms of standing out um, I recommend reading content mm-hmm. ink um, he goes all in uh, you know he has several chapters on how to build a um, differentiator or your content tilt and that book I haven't read the whole thing but even what I've read I just got so motivated to create awesome content after going over the first couple of chapters Um, so I highly recommend that and um, he's the reason uh, Joe is the reason I figured out um, that my content tilt is SaaS and community because everybody has this like space where they are where there's actually not that many people and I just didn't realize it until looking at this book and obviously nowadays audio and video content are becoming really popular and personally I find this really exciting but also a bit intimidating because I've always loved writing I'm comfortable doing that but I really hate being on for example um but it does feel you have to keep up with these trends to stay ahead so as a fellow content creator, I'd love to know your opinion. You know, do we all need to be setting up a YouTube channel and vlogging? So I also know that you've just started offering content promotion services. So could you just talk about your favorite strategies or platforms for getting content in front of the right audiences? Yeah, yeah. I use Q, of course, <laughs> and I use growth hackers zest i used i used to use inbound but that is now growth.org and i can't say that i've been active on there mm-hmm. um i do a lot of sharing on social media so i've spent a lot of time building up my twitter especially as a curator so a lot of distribution happens there and i share in slack groups and Facebook groups, and I haven't really done much with LinkedIn groups, um, but LinkedIn seems to be a really good place lately for going viral, mm-hmm. so that's something I'm considering looking into. And then, of course, there's Cora, and I have clients who are doing really well on there as long as your answers are really in-depth and actionable and um, 
aren't just promotional and, you know, um, so it, it also really depends on, again, where the ideal customer mm-hmm. is. So if that ideal customer isn't on one of these platforms or if the content doesn't align with the platform, like say that it isn't growth oriented, then I don't put it on growth mm-hmm. hackers. So um, it depends on both the content and the target audience. We ask all of our guests where we can find them on social media, but I really can't recommend following Nicole highly enough. As we spoke about in this episode, she's an incredible content creator, but she's also great at bringing like-minded people together. So go say hi at Nikki Eliz Demere. That's N-I-K-K-I-E-L-I-Z-D-E-M-E-R-E. You can also read her blog posts and find out how she can help you further on her website, NicoleElizabethDemere.com. As always, thanks for listening and feel free to tweet us at Q underscore co or call into our Anchor FM station if you'd like to chat about the topics covered in this episode. And don't forget to subscribe, review and rate us on iTunes. I really like the fact that Nicole is such a big fan of Twitter, as it's often overlooked in favour of other platforms. I asked Nicole why she thought this was.